Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode from Embellish Pod. This is an opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few minutes. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll get that taken care of. You can also find video versions of this podcast on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or TikTok with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. There's also a place to pick up these links episode details and more. this week um we're going to talk about the 2023 kentucky bourbon festival um this year i had the opportunity to attend the festival as a, a media person um i think it was another great year uh, so i put together uh, a video montage and i'm going to essentially be narrating over the top of it so i can capture my own thoughts on it all um but um, for, for the weekend, for me at least, it actually began before the festival. I had an opportunity to attend the Barrel Craft Spirits open house um, at their location uh, just outside of Louisville. And then I got to attend the a Broken Barrel event at the Bardstown Motor Lodge. Um, both of those events were fantastic, um, but we'll get a chance to um, talk through that particular series of events. All right, so let's let's go ahead and get this video started. Um, like I said, this year I got the chance to attend the Barrel Craft Spirits opening house, and um, so they've got this really neat barrel, uh, that barrel head that they sort of set up uh, as you entered, and everybody that came through got an opportunity to sign it. There were actually two of them, um, and it felt super weird um, being a part of this because it's one of the first media, distinct media events that I've been to, um, but it was. A really, really fun time, and it just so happened to book in pretty closely to the interview that I did with Barrel Craft Spirits. I really like what they're doing um, as an independent bottler, and there was a good crowd of um, social media folks. There were some other YouTube channels out there. They handed out Glens that they put their 10th anniversary blend in, which was for sale at the location day of. Um, it was for sale online, and then it was also for sale at the um, festival. Um, and it's an eight-year blend at like 85 bucks or whatever. Um, during the tour, right, so we got to actually have a tour of the facility. They walked us through some of their um, inventory rooms. And so it was really neat to see these releases over time, right? And so you're seeing some of the... Uh, things that they currently have available for sale, some of the things that they've sold in the past and where they're keeping different batches to sort of refer back to. And I've talked about this before in the past that I feel like for Barrel Craft Spirits, it's almost like this uh, warehouse of interesting whiskeys that they're keeping these copious notes on to understand how to go back and regenerate a flavor profile or use a particular whiskey to impact one. Um, they had some really nicely designed offices um, they, you know, they have all kinds of stuff. Imagine this boardroom. Like if you had this boardroom at your office, uh, it'd be pretty super nice um, with the different whiskeys that are available. But, you know, they, they ha definitely have an eye for design. Uh, as we transitioned in, there's actually a speakeasy. And um, from what I understand, the on-site location is going to allow for them to do barrel picks um, inside the facility so people can show up. They can do their pick. They've got a speakeasy. They're pouring um pouring spirits here for us to try 
but there was also a little bit of a retail shop that was available as well. Um, and they talked about while they were doing the tours that it didn't initially plan for a retail space, but as soon as they started kind of fitting it out, uh, everyone started saying, all right, so now I get to a chance to come visit, uh, and see what you guys are doing. And, and so they had to kind of back up and say, Oh, people are going to want to come here and buy stuff. Now, while they were pouring up spirits, they had the two cask finish series that just released the Amberana, as well as the tale of two islands. Um, and I'd already had a chance to try those as well as the current bourbon and rye batch, but there were also some private release, uh, barrels that were being shared as well. So I got an opportunity to try that. Um, super, super great. And then we start doing the rest of the tour, which takes us into some of the bottling facility as well as their blending lab. Um, the blending lab, similar to the stock of shells, uh, that we've already seen has, all the different batches of the different labels that they've had in the past. Until I got to this shelf, it was all relatively well understood. But this shelf is representative of the different spirits that they have at their disposal to create a blend or to create an impact, right? And so I really liked this shelf. It had um, pear brandy in it. It had all kinds of wheat whiskey, corn whiskey, all of these different things. Now, as we stepped out into the bottling facility that's where we start seeing the foundation right and so this is something that that Lindsay talked about on the podcast a couple of weeks ago um they have a five-year entry-level foundation series that they're getting ready to put out and um you know it's got to be really close if it's on the bottling line with the label set up for everybody to go through but it was a super impressive facility um at the end of that event um, we hopped in the car and headed downtown uh, to Louisville to Justin's House of Bourbon, where Sean from Pinhook was. Um, he was doing some pours of the the different um, different offerings that he's got out there. Uh, had a chance to stop in and try a few things and, and hang out with a few people. Um, great experience, great whiskey. You know, I, I've liked what Pinhook has done. I haven't really talked about them in the past, but I've got a handful of their bottles. Um, and it's one of those that sort of stays on that evergreen list of um, podcasting ideas that I just haven't gotten to yet. So um, that night we headed over to a broken barrel event at Bardstown Motor Lodge. Um, had a chance to talk to Seth a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago at this point, um, and walk through some of the things he had going on. Um, and at this event, I did get an opportunity to try their uh, coffee infused or coffee finished sorry, coffee liqueur finished whiskey, which was just incredibly, incredibly unique. And if you're a coffee fan and a whiskey fan, it's probably something that you want to give a try. Um, but through the course of the night, you know, we get to see the splitting malls. We get to see um, some of the different uh, whiskeys that they brought with them. And then there's some batch cocktails that were brought in as well. All of it was great, had hors d'oeuvres, all of those things. Um, and then as the night progressed, we got a chance to... Um, hang out and some folks got a chance to break a barrel. Uh, now you might think that breaking a barrel would be easy. You know, it's, it's made out of wood and it feels like it should be. Um, but if you like spend more than half a second thinking about, it, you start to realize, okay, these barrels are meant to hold four or 500 pounds worth of liquid. Uh, and so they're probably pretty tough from the inside and out. And so we had a bunch of different people that took turns doing it. I did not uh, spend enough time touching a splitting mall whenever I was a kid didn't need that opportunity. Um, but here's the remnants of, of everything. Um, it was a super fun event. You know, Seth really def had, had some, some fun things planned out for people to kind of go through. Um, um, they did host out at the Bardstown Motor Lodge. 
which is probably a great place to stay if you're considering 2024 Bourbon Festival or anything that is happening in Bardstown. If you're visiting the trail, if you're doing whatever, um, it's a nice place. Um, they've done a lot of renovations to it in the last year. Um, there's some unique design elements that are very, very motor lodged like, but that's apparently uh, resurging in popularity. They got an you know, in-ground pool, really nice fire pit area for you to sit down and share whiskey with friends and have conversations. A very, very open and inviting environment. Um, and I really like these chairs. These, you, know, the, you can tell there's a lot of bourbon country influence in the design that they put together. So the next day we head over to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival proper. Um, you know, we got the opportunity to attend as media people, um, which meant we got to enter the festival at the same time as the VIPs and VIPs get in an hour early, um, which meant we got a chance to um, be in the VIP line. Um, but we'll run through what the line actually looks like. And it, and it's, this is a thing that has improved over the last three years. In my opinion, the first year was a, like a plasticky type wristband last year was the first year they did the RFID enabled cloth bands and they did them again this year, but it allows once they sort of ironed out the kinks of that system, it allows for a very quick line uh, dismissal. Um, everybody puts their band on before they, um, get to the to the gate. And one of the things to kind of remember, if you're considering for 2024, these bands are cloth bands. You don't want to pull them too tight because they have a locking mechanism on them that once you've pulled it on, you can't take it off without cutting it. If it's cut, they're not going to let you get through the gate with it being cut. They will ask you, you know, they may ask you for ID. They may issue you a new one and deactivate the old one. Um, but that's an attempt to keep people from trying to share from one day to the other. Um, they're wristband and it's more of making sure the person who has this wristband is the person who's supposed to have it um so you know the the, the lines moved significantly faster this year and then also splitting up uh, vip and general admission probably helped that pretty significantly um this particular line was right around 12 30 ish whenever um i took this video and so we're 30 minutes after general gate opening everybody's cleared out already. You know, it's, it's a very quick session and this is the general admission line. Um, the VIP line is around the corner here. Um, and it was a little bit shorter, uh, obviously because there weren't as many, uh, folks, but once you get in the first thing you're supposed to do, this is, this is apparently the ritual. Um, and we did this last year and we do it again this year. You head over to the barrel craft tent and you get one of their slushies. Um, it was good enough that I asked Lindsay about it, um, during our, uh, interview because it is phenomenal and it's a great way to start today, especially if you're going to start drinking whiskey at 11 a.m. in the morning, um, you know, and considering it's 11 a.m. their time. But if you're coming from anywhere that's not the uh, Eastern time zone, then it's 10 a.m. or 9 a.m. or 7 a.m. Or we had some folks from Alaska that were standing in line with us. And so I don't even know. It's probably at 4 a.m. their time. Um, but this is the entrance from the VIP se section. The VIP section entrance is on the south end of the grounds. The general admission was on the east end. And then there was a small gate that went in and out for um, the Brindiamo penthouse and a couple other things that were happening on the west end. Um, and then there was an exit only that was on the north end. You couldn't get back in, but you could get out. And so that was super handy. Um, but, you know, as you sort of enter in here, uh, one of the things of note is right out the VIP gate is where all of the food trucks were. And we'll talk about those at the very, very end. Um, but that's a place 
another place of improvement for 2023 versus 2022 is there were 10 or 12 different food trucks, whereas there were only a couple the first year and a smaller amount the second year, and they tried to cram them all inside the festival. They took them outside the footprint of the festival, um, and because the wristbands are easy to get in and out of, it was, I think, probably a good move. Um, but we'll talk about that just maybe a little bit more uh, later on. So as we kind of get in, you can tell there was a rain gap over the um, entry scanner there because it was about to, to take off raining that afternoon and they wanted to protect the electronics that were involved in it. Like I said, you can see how quickly this is moving in and out. So as you enter, we're going to do our first round of talking about the craft area. And so people check in, they stop here at the information booth and get their mini Glen Cairn. Um, and then there's some merchandise. And then as you move through and, you know, we'll, we'll notice that Castle and Key and Bardstown Bourbon Company are both sitting outside of what would be considered the craft gate. Um, there is a, you know, kind of an archway that exists there, but each one of these distilleries um, has set up with some of their standard offerings, but as well as some very unique um, things that you might not be able to get generally in a marketplace, right? Um, like the, the stout finish for, um, Bartstown Bourbon Company was was there as well as their Foursquare collaboration. So this is the Craft Distillers Row. And this is another place. And I'm going to talk about this a lot and almost, you know, fanboying out a little bit. But um, last year, this time, there were almost there were the same amount on this left hand side of the screen distillers. But on the right hand side, that was the edge of the VIP section. And there were no distillers there. Um this is one place that I think probably needs a little bit reworking for logistics is that there were enough distillers that were crammed in this corner that it became congested the longer the day went because you have all of these that are, you know, effectively in uh, maybe a 40 foot triangle, you know, where they're all sort of kind of jammed up in there. And as people would stand in line to get access to things, um, they would sort of, it would just, it, it would get a little bit cramped and a little bit crowded right in here. Um, but Aside from that, right, so we have these seats that sort of exist throughout the event, and they've been there all three years, but they're a little bit more accessible this year uh, because this big open area was not a big open area last year. There was a lot of stuff that was sort of jammed in tight, um, and you didn't have enough room for people to sort of spread out. And so that is a huge improvement over the year um, from what we've seen in the past. And so as we kind of walk up the side here, you see there's, you know, some brands brought games with them or things to do that were sort of outside the, um, outside the normal, you know, kind of threshold of where they're supposed to be. Uh, there's heaven's door here. Three chord brought this little mini Glen holder that was on a lanyard that went, everybody, you know, stood in line for five hours for, and then there were a lot of really good surprises of whiskey coming out of the Luca Mariano group. Um, and then on the stage, there were a series of different events or bands that might play something to sort of provide some background. And it looks like increased seating here. And this seating wasn't always used just for the folks that were presenting. Sometimes it was just people sitting um, to rest, right? Because you're looking at from, you know, 12 to six, uh, 11 to six for VIPs and for media folks. It's a long time to go with minimal seating that's available. And then I'm going to pause here. I want to look at this area. This is another place that I, I think is there's some room for improvement. And the only reason that I say there's room for improvement on this one is simply because this is a big open area, and when you get to the noon portion of the day, and we had really, really good weather this year. It was moderate temperatures, but I remember last year it was 
quite hot and having this big open area uh, was a place where people congregated. But as you hit noon, one, two, three time frame, there's not a ton of shade here. And so if there's a way to sort of maybe fly some shade sails or some sort of uh, way to give some cover, it would be advantageous. And it would probably help if we get into a slightly rainy situation. If you get into a downpour, there's really not much you're going to be able to do about it. Um, because it's just a big open space and it's going to get muddy. It is what it is. Um, and this is a place where, I, you know, I, so, I don't know if I felt bad or felt good for him, but um, Staven Bean and Peerless sort of got stuck over here in the corner by themselves. And so there wasn't a, uh, an ability to hop from booth to booth to booth to booth and stop in here. But they also ended up with quite a few long lines in place. Um, now you'll see this is the entrance to the VIP area. Um, this is where they have their own sort of section. We'll talk about that at the end of this particular clip. And then back here, um, you'll see this is where the craft area is. And by I mean craft, I mean like craft goods, not craft whiskey. Um, there were, you know, syrup folks. There were people making, you know, barrel art and whatnot. Um, and this is maybe the next place of improvement or complaint that I might have. Once you were inside the gates of the event, the only accessible bathrooms for general admission were on the very far north end on the other side of all of these craft vendors. And so if you're on the very south end, you either had to exit the event or you had to walk all the way to the north end. Now, maybe that's not such a bad thing considering um, considering that we're drinking a lot and we're, you know, we're, we're uh, eating junk food. Maybe it's a good thing to have us walk so far, but um, that was a place, I don't know, is, is, a, is a minor place for improvement. Most of these are all just minor shifts in improvement, at least in my perspective. More craft distillers. Um, you see a bunch of different offerings. Everybody sort of set up their own thing. And as this day progresses, you're going to see people are going to con congregate around a lot of these craft distillers. And that's simply because they're doing some of the most unique stuff that's available. And a lot of them you may not have in your regional area. You may not have particular versions that they have with them. Um, you may not have access to um, Redline or, you know, Hartfield and Company, right? Because they're not necessarily as widespread. And then you have some of the things that I was able to try while we were there, you know, things that are maybe not quite as widespread. These are all really great pours, at least in my opinion. I tried to get through as many of them as I could. Realistically, I'm using this as research. Who do I want to try to talk to again over the next year based off of what I tasted here? Um, you know, they, they all had something unique to share, something unique that they brought along with them. And then there's this Filmland Spirits had some beautiful bottles and these really fun and unique ideas that are maybe a little bit tongue in cheek when it comes to um, the historical storytelling of whiskey. But they all had really beautiful bottles and really nice setups um, from all of the craft distilleries. Then we get into cocktails, right? Cocktails are uh, almost an afterthought as far as marketing, but from each one of the booths, they were not an afterthought. They spent a good amount of time crafting very, very beautiful cocktails for people to drink. And almost everyone had one. Um, and so if you're not a person who drinks straight whiskey all the time, there's a great opportunity to taste risky whiskey with its impact on a, on a cocktail. Or if you're getting later in the day and your palate's blown out, you know, because everybody hits that point, there's an opportunity for you 
to continue to consume things, but you know, you're not really looking for the nuance of flavor anymore. And so a lot of times they would highlight, this is the whiskey that went into that particular cocktail. Um, you know, the, the, the crowd environment was super great shade. Like I said, it was a great session this year. Um, so each one of these booths in the craft area regularly would have either a brand ambassador or a distiller as a part of their booth. And so you got to talk to the people who are making and representing this whiskey all the time. It's not just people that were hired for this particular event. Um, they're oftentimes the family members who are doing the work, you know, especially in family owned, you think about the Neely's and a host of other things. And then, you know, they had music playing in the background, which was kind of a great soundtrack to the event. Um, you know, and it kind of allowed for, you just sort of drown out the, the, the sounds of the surrounding area. And then they had these, um, 30 minute interview podcast type sessions. And this is a really, really good one about influencers. Um, and there's some pretty significant names sitting on this, this stage. Um, some really great questions came out of it. They took some crowd questions. Um, but beyond that, the, the thing that stuck with me is like, I want to get all five of these people together to continue this conversation because it was 30 minutes and it needed to be about two hours. And now that's just from my perspective, but there are some other folks that sort of agreed. And so selfishly, I want to do this. Now, the VIP section, this is one of the biggest, most drastic changes, at least that I think that existed. Uh, the first thing is, is that the VIP section appears to be two or three times as big as it was last year, as far as space concerns. There's more outdoor seating. There's more uh, opportunity to kind of spread out inside these tinted areas and they, they go pick up their own unique grab bags for the VIPs. Um, they had, you know, you, you're paying a little more, so you expect a more premium experience. They have their own snacks that are in there, different hors d'oeuvres. Um, distillers will come in and out, brand people will come in and out and they'll have this discussion. Now I want to pause here. This is something that is huge that I've never identified before. But I think that this is a great ad, right? And so there's these lockers that are right here. And the fact that they've increased bottle sales at these events um, is big, right? Because it gives you access to a lot of things that you might not have before. But um, Bardstown will always have a problem with parking and traffic. And so getting back out to your car to drop off the three bottles that you bought because you're carrying you know, 10 pounds, 10 extra pounds with you is sort of a pain. But having these lockers for you to be able to drop off a purse, a backpack, a bottle you've bought, some other thing that you don't want to necessarily lug around, but you want to store it in a secured place, super clutch. And they had some behind the VIP gate. And then they also had some on the other end of the section that was accessible to anyone else that might want to have that. Um, really great setup. Like I said, the, the tent is maybe twice or three times as big as it was last year, which it got super cramped. And then one of the other things that they changed is last year, the VIP and media people shared a tent, right? And so media being influencers and there weren't a ton of them, but for some VIPs and, you know, I paid for VIP last year. Um, some VIPs may have felt slighted because influencers ended up in their same paid for experience. Now, uh, I don't think that was necessarily a big deal because for some of them, maybe they liked the fact that they had access to those influencers. Um, maybe they didn't. So as we kind of round out the North half of the event, and we're going to shift into the South half, the South half is where all of the heritage distillers happen to be. And so we're going to start from the main entrance again. And this is a thing that was a little bit unique to me is that this is considered the heritage area or the, you know, large brands. But the first one we run into 
is Preservation Distillery. Um, Castle and Key is sitting outside in this big open area. Um, New Riff was in there. Milam and Green was in there. Um, EJ Curley was in there. And these are not what you would consider to be traditional heritage brands. I don't know that it was necessarily a bad thing, um, but it was maybe something that was a little bit different. Now, the other thing is that on this South end last year was a mixture of heritage brands as well as the, the crafting section. And this is all whiskey now with the exception of one merch booth, this is all whiskey. And so it's a lot less congested. And now I will say the longest lines that I saw were at some of the heritage brands, Jim Beam, Four Roses, Heaven Hill all had significant lines. Now that was because they were offering some unique bottles for purchase like Baker's 13 or some um, Elijah Craig barrel proof or some different things that, that might've been a, um, of interest to the people that were attending. And so they ended up with these super long lines as people were trying to get access to these uh, bottles that were harder to purchase. And I think you'll see quite a few heaven Hill gift bags in this shot right now. If you kind of look ahead, whenever we pan to the right in a second, uh, we're going to see a ton of them. Right. And so there's one, two, three, four, there's like, there's like five or six people that are, uh, in this crowd right now carrying heaven Hill bags and heaven Hill, um, booth is way on the other end of this. And so Jim beam had or James beam, James BB Beam distilling or whatever. Um, they had, uh, some unique bottles to purchase as well. Some limited allocation bottles. Um, like I said, this session, this section was a little bit closer in, but you couldn't notice it nearly as bad because the crowd, I don't think, was as significant with ex with the exception of a few um, distilleries. The there are some things that I'll, I'll maybe call out. You know, kind of pay attention to the crowd as you pan through and you sort of see people. Um, there's some distinct things that um, feel like they're missing from marketing materials around it. Um, there's not a lot of, there, there is a lot more diversity at the event than is displayed at the event, right? So all the marketing materials, all of this stuff ends up looking an awful lot like me. And there's a lot more women and people of color that are actually attending the event. Um, it's just not necessarily as visible. And that's maybe a place to work on, uh, for a marketing effort for the festival is, you know, how do you effectively market to those audiences that they are there? Um, and not make make it look like it's all just a bunch of folks that look exactly like me. Um, so, you know, we're still kind of moving through this particular section, seeing the crowds. Um, Michter's was set up. You know, they, they had a much smaller uh, space, it felt like, last year than they did this year. Um, but the spacing was good. And, and here's another example, right? Green River is set up in where the Heritage are now. Green River's been around for a long, long time. But as far as considering it a heritage brand is a little bit um a little bit different so we'll we'll continue to move through the event here right and and see folks are are having a great opportunity to talk with either brand representatives distillers or maybe even just people that they met you know you get an opportunity to meet a lot of unique people at these types of events um and so you end up, you know, maybe buddying up with people that you didn't know before you walked through the gate. Um, but it was it was a well-ran event. It's getting better year over year, and all of the critiques that that we ever give seem to be met openly and largely resolved. You know, there, there's not a there's not a lot of things I can complain about this year, and the, and the places where I do complain are very very minimal. I don't even know if complaint is a constructive criticism. What do you even call it anymore, right? Um, and so we're you know. We're seeing a lot of video. This is me 
trying to say something interesting about the same type of video over and over and over again. But um, moving through all of the heritage distilleries, all of the major players were there. And then that was a place where maybe we didn't see as much participation in the previous years. Some of the heritage distillers either had smaller booths or smaller presences or weren't even there at all. Um, if I remember correctly, the first year, um, Heaven Hill wasn't even present, but I also think they were going through a union strike at that point as well. Um, but uh, as the event has grown, so has some of the um, some of the offerings and some of the the spacing and, and the event itself. Um, it's beautiful. It was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful weekend. There was a little bit of rain towards the end of it, and that's always a big risk with an outside event is having that. Um, then we'll kind of move into some still images. You know, that you start seeing some of the the branding that everyone knows everything about, you know, is, you know, the maker's marks of the world. Um, EJ Curley, like I said, they were set up in the heritage space and they were busy all day long. It was super, super interesting to see Milam and Green. And this is this is a thing I want to call out. Milam and Green was there and Milam and Green is considered a Texas whiskey largely. They make bourbon, but they're a Texas whiskey. And so we're starting to see brands from outside the state of Kentucky that are not necessarily sourcing a hundred percent of their whiskey, right? So, you know, you have a lot of brands that are showing up that have Indiana whiskey that they're selling, but they're branded up, which is perfectly fine. But we're seeing some folks that don't um, have their, their location set in Kentucky and they don't buy a hundred percent of the whiskey either from Kentucky or from Tennessee. Um, some of the setups were, you know, Super fun, you know, and, and here's some more things. Like I said, the Bardstown Bourbon Company had their um, their stout finish and then uh, New Riff had this malted rye that they were pouring. So like I said, there's some unique things that are available. There's a triple cask from Milam and Green. There was um, Unabridged, which is another version that they have. So this is the big draw. And so you know, I'll, I'll kind of use this to round this up. The big draw of an event like this is being able to try 20, 30 whiskeys at one time without having a significant investment per bottle, right? Um, and spreading it over two or three days helps out a lot. Now, this is me sort of wrapping up my experience at the event. You know, I polished it off with the exact same cocktail that I started with. You know, before we head home, that's what we did. Now, this is the thing. Listen to this. <laughs> Every day, they had a different bagpiper set up playing music and and it's just one of those things where you don't know what to expect when you walk around the corner, but there it was. And now we're going up to some of the special sessions in the Brindiamo penthouse. They had a lot of educational classes. Um, they have some really neat stuff that's inside that uh, penthouse. But we got an opportunity to go and sit in on the Black Manhattan where Heather Wibbles, who has this wonderful cookbook, put together a trio of tastes. There's the perfect black, perfect, the man, classic Manhattan, the perfect Manhattan and the black Manhattan. Um, and this is the place where it's the most risky, right? Cause you get, end up getting served three cocktails in an hour time frame, And that cocktail is a hundred percent alcohol. Um, but it was a, it was a super fun event. It was a way to sort of experience the, um, the whiskey in a different way, right? Because we're, we're not just talking about straight pours. We're talking about cocktails. We're talking about intentionally crafted cocktails and ways that you can, um, enjoy those things. And this one is sp explicitly featuring a ride cocktail at the bourbon festival. Um, 
highly recommend buying the cookbook if you see it. Um, here's an elevated view of the of the grounds. You know, it, it was very very well managed, and Brindiamo um, penthouse is beautiful. Uh, last bit, we're going to talk about the um, food truck area, and I took this video, and this is this is the biggest miss for me. I took this video Sunday as we were getting ready to depart, and outside the event was this large quantity of food trucks. They had everything that you could be asking for. And that was a big ask from last year was there wasn't enough food for people who are drinking cask strength whiskey all day long. And now there was right. And this was set outside the event. And so it didn't add to the congestion of the event. This was parking last year, but I think everybody will give up the parking just to have this experience. Um, and there were some restrooms that were outside the gate, but this is where the VIP entrance. Now, this is my big question, and I never fully, I didn't ask it, and so maybe I should ask this, um, is if you're a non-VIP, can you come in and out of the VIP gate once we're past the initial opening, right? Um, are you allowed to enter there? Because if not, you have to enter out the east end of the event, walk all the way down the fence to get to the south end of the event to get to this and then get back in again. And then the last bit, this is the media tent. And so this is this is the place where I really, really enjoyed this because there was a separate place for media folks to sort of step off to the side and have some conversations with distillers as they came through. And so we weren't taking time from them out on, in the event with all of the patrons, the people who paid to be there, who you know want the opportunity to meet um, Freddie No or... Um, any of the folks from any of the brands, but there was this sort of separate environment for us to sit down. Um, and inside that, it wasn't a huge space. It was exactly the right size or some places to sit down. There was an opportunity to grab a quick snack. Um, and there was a place to, to actually record. And you'll see right here, like there's a group of folks that would regularly sit up here and they would do a quick recording while they're having a discussion with some particular person from a brand. Um, you know, it was it was a great event all in all. The the um, that I want to kind of go back to is the heritage tents ended up getting swamped. I don't know if there's a way to solve that, if there's a way to remedy that. But those lines ended up spreading long enough that you had to kind of cut through lines to get through the event. The larger footprint is greatly appreciated. The crowd management significantly better um, and sort of. Do we need the vendor portion anymore? Like there are probably a lot of folks that were buying stuff from over there, but is it a place to gain more footprint for the whiskey festival itself? How do we deal with that? Bottle sales, huge addition, huge, huge addition. There were a lot of distinct barrel picks for the event that were available to people. Um, the big asks are um, bathrooms. They're maybe too far away. If you're on the South end, you got to go to the North end or leave the event and then shade. Can we, can, is there some way to, to add shade into the environment. I also want to take an opportunity to thank Tracy uh, and the folks with Estes Public Relations. Um, they set up a great space and area and opportunity for um, social media people, podcasters, um, YouTubers, a whole host of different people 
to be able to get in and generate content and create things. And uh, I suspect that there's a whole lot of podcast episodes, YouTube episodes, um, Instagram collaborations, TikTok collaborations that are going to happen as a direct result of this. Um, I think it's probably great for the craft brands and the heritage brands, as well as for the media attendees as well. We can kind of continue to push out what we do across um, all of our platforms after the event. Um, but that's not necessarily the central focus of the event. And by creating a separate space for us, it allowed us to not intrude on the average general admission or VIP attendee. The person who paid their hard earned money, um, came into town to attend this event. I think we were less intrusive of their experience this year than in the past. Um, you know, as an audio podcaster, you know, I had a couple of other folks that were with me, they're audio or video podcasters. Um, you know, the, the ability to sit down and record an episode was pretty limited, especially since you're only going to get a few minutes of people's time. Um, you know, I guess, cause it is a, a very, very hectic event. Um, but if we were to try to do it, uh, at the busy times inside the media tent, it was going to be tough to do. And so likely as I line up interviews with people that I met at the festival, there's going to be a lot of. Thank you, Estes. Um, thank you, Tracy. Thank you for introducing us back at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival and allowing us to have this opportunity because um, realistically, it was it was a huge, huge event for me and for a lot of other um, social media types. And so, you know, that covers kind of where I am at and what I thought of the 2023 Kentucky Bourbon Festival. 2024 is already scheduled and I, I'll have to look at my calendar to figure out where that is, but it is time. If you're going to try to attend next year, uh, number one, you probably need to get your uh, Airbnb or hotel booked right now um, because Bartstown's a small town and it's never going to have enough lodging to suit the event. We actually ended up staying uh, North of Bardstown uh, in Shepherdsville uh, and just drove in and back, you know, in and out uh, for the event. But if you're wanting to stay in Barthtown proper, you need to book it now. Um, also, go to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival website, which will be linked in everywhere. Get on their email list so that way you make sure that you're uh, in the know when tickets go on. So VIP tickets sold out really, really quick. So if that's a thing you want, you need to be ahead of time on that. Um, the, the festival is September the 11th through the 15th next year. Um, it's probably the 12th through the 15th because that's the the thursday friday saturday sunday um but you know it, there's always a great opportunity to come into town a little bit early go tour a few distilleries see what's going on most of the distilleries are going to be not several of the distilleries will do releases that weekend that you'll have access to i know that some folks got some cellar aged from makers mark um some people were able to get some stuff from four roses heaven hill put some things out marstown bourbon company put some stuff out peerless in louisville did um and that's Probably the, the thing to think about is that if you don't get a reservation in time, you're going to end up probably staying in Louisville or somewhere near there. Um, and so that will be easier to book those things later in the year. But if you don't get ahead of the curve, you're going to likely miss it. So I think that'll be it for today. Thanks for tuning in for this offering from Embellish Pod. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media. At Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod. Give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. Thanks for stopping by.